the Statutes of Liberty, part three of three. Christian abolitionist. This is part three of three of our series, the Statutes of Liberty. I've been talking a lot about LGBT rights, and you can see that if you check out part one and part two, which I highly recommend. But more broadly, most of what we cover in this series, you know, the line of thinking that we cover in this series applies to how Americans of various faith traditions can approach policy and politics. Now, my interest in focusing on American Christians is twofold. One, that's the largest religious demographic in the United States. And two, I've been a Christian for the last eight years. So I feel especially comfortable speaking to that particular religious group. In fact, I feel a special responsibility to do so. You know, there's somewhat of a third point on helping uh, American Christians to think through their Christian privilege, but I don't know if I have as much time to make that connection. So I haven't explicitly made those points as much, but you know, that's in there too. Um, Either way, I've been walking through these propositions concerning my full support for the liberties of LGBT Americans, the same basic liberties that you and I probably enjoy without even thinking about it. In Proposition 1, which is in Part 1, I made the point on the separation of church and state, which is actually ideal for religious groups, um, Christians included. Um, in Part 2, or in Proposition 2, I, expl I explicate how perspective-taking consideration uh, seem to be underemphasized for most Christians as they think through American policy. I mean, indeed, some American Christians will qualify as Christian supremacists, which is very different from being a Christian. It doesn't really reflect the heart of the scriptures or the heart of Jesus. You know, my hope is that those were at least as interesting as they sound. I have my third and final proposition concerning faith and LGBT rights below. Proposition three. The focus on opposition of LGBT rights is both arbitrary and unusually narrow. I don't think this does what you think it does. Let's start with the latter comment on it being unusually narrow. Take your pick of any major religion in the world. The most common ones are Buddhism, Christianity, Hinduism, Islam, um, Judaism. But to be clear, by some estimates, the world has over 4,000 different religions. Take your pick of any one of those 4,000 religions. Every single one of them describe things they believe to be right and things they believe to be wrong. Every single one of them outlines things they believe to be permissible and things they believe to be reprehensible. Religions are all about moral-based reasoning. They're about demonstrating or, or and or abstaining from attitudes um, and behaviors that are deemed as uh, commendable or disreputable whatever that may mean in the context of religion, of the religion in question. So you want to do the good things and you want to avoid doing the bad things. 
My impression is that would be true for every single one of these 4,000 plus religions that exist all around the world. Every single one of them. Do things that are good and don't do things that are bad, right? Um, so please explain to me why American Christians feel so committed to showing their devotion to opposing same-sex marriage, but we really don't have and don't really care to have laws for most of the other things in the Bible. Even some of the stuff that we might describe as a big deal, air quotes, a big deal. There are lots of Christians who think it's wrong to get tattoos, right? So, I mean, there are lots of, I don't know if I've said lots of references, but one of the references that, you know, people use uh, in support of that is Leviticus chapter 19, verse 28, right? So that's a scripture that talks at least about body markings. Um, we've had tattoos in America since before the Civil War, in the mid-1800s. I've never once heard American Christians talk about abolishing tattoos. But 30% of Americans are estimated to have at least one. That's a lot of... America has 330 million people, so 30% of Americans is a lot of people. Body piercing is the same. I mean, it emerged in the late 1900s. I think this is 1960s, 1970s. Lots of Christians think that's wrong, particularly when it comes to men getting their ear pierced and stuff like that. Um, but there are millions of Americans with body piercings. I mean, the Bible talks about the sanctity of our body. It talks about that in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. There's another reference in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Uh, verses 19 and 20 makes those points as well. So the Bible obviously talks about the sanctity of our body. Why don't we have laws limiting tattoos and body piercings? I mean, we tell people below the age of 18 they need parental consent. But if it's wrong in the Bible, having parental consent or being of legal age isn't going to make it right. Having your parents' permission or reaching a particular age won't make something right unless it was wrong because of your parents or because of your age. And even if it isn't wrong, the Bible still has scriptures about modesty, right? It talks about that in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9. It also makes that point in Proverbs chapter 11, verses 22. The Bible talks about modesty. And there are also scriptures about men looking like men and women looking like women. It says that in Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 5. So if God wants for us to be modest, how many tattoos is too many? And where are we allowed to get them? And given tattoos are more common among men than they are women, does that mean there should be a limit to how many tattoos women can get? Because the Bible talks about women looking like women and especially encourages them to be modest in appearance. Maybe we need some laws on that, right? What about alcohol? Now, it is illegal to drink and drive. Uh, but if you're not operating a vehicle and you're not in public, being drunk is not illegal. 
Presumably, the reasoning there is as follows. Now, when you're drunk, for the most part, it only affects you. Now, when you drink and then operate a vehicle, beyond posing a threat to your own safety, you also threaten the safety of others. And presumably, that's why we have laws about being over the influence when you're driving, right? You pose a big threat to yourself as well as others. But for all intents and purposes, if you get drunk at home or in private, the government really doesn't give a crap. I mean, you're allowed to do that. That is entirely within your rights. But the Bible says that's wrong. I don't see anybody lobbying to make getting drunk in private illegal. And for the record, in the early 1900s, we used to have prohibition on alcohol. The U.S. was a dry country. No buying, no selling, or consumption of alcohol for 13 years. So before you dismiss my argument as ridiculous, um, making a law against getting drunk wouldn't be the craziest law America has ever made concerning alcohol. In fact, by comparison, it would be pretty lax. If you can abolish the consumption of di and distribution of alcohol for 13 years, it's not crazy or out of the ordinary to say uh, you want to get rid of uh, the possibility for people to be drunk. We've absolutely had more radical, air quotes, radical laws concerning alcohol in the past. That's uh, part of the whole prohibition movement. Or was part of the prohibition movement, I should say. What about sexting? Or pornography? Maybe even premarital sex, right? As far as I can tell, we don't have laws against any of those. Albeit with the rise of child uh, trafficking and sex trafficking, it looks like there's been a little bit more lobbying against the porn industry. But for the most part, sexting, porn, and sex out of wedlock are all legal. And although Christians seem to generally disapprove, they're not seeking any major government interventions, right? They don't see the need to take away other people's right to sext, use porn, or participate in sex out of wedlock. Can you even imagine how that conversation would go? I want to make sure that nobody in America is allowed to send or receive a dick pic. Not just my son or daughter. Um, unless they're married, then, you know, it's okay. But otherwise, zero dick pics. None. I mean, I believe some dating apps have now created restrictions on sending unsolicited dick pics. And I think a few countries, too, have some laws about unsolicited dick pics. Um, even in the U.S., a few states, I believe Connecticut and Louisiana are examples, have laws about um, dick pics. But these are only intended to protect minors as there are particular concerns with child pedophilia, child pornography, etc. But a grown man can send a dick pic to a grown woman that he's casually involved with or dating or whatever. And the American government doesn't really have anything to buffer that. It's your right to do so, the government and, you know, Christians would say. 
but we don't have any laws against that. How about divorce? I mean, the Bible says God doesn't like divorce. It says that in Matthew chapter 5, verse 32. It says it again in Matthew chapter 19, verse 6. It also says it in Mark chapter 10, uh, verses 2 through 12. And divorce is interesting because it, too, is part of the institution of marriage, reflecting quite literally God's plan for creation. So sexuality and divorce are both mentioned in the Bible. But Christians seem way more outspoken about one of those than the other. And I'll let you figure out what you think that means. From what I can tell, Christians aren't trying to create laws to interfere with how many times someone can be divorced or guidelines to make sure they know the person really well before they get married or requirements on uh, going to a marriage counselor before uh, any divorce paperwork can be signed. You know, in spite of what the Bible says, as far as I can tell, Christians don't feel compelled or motivated to lobby their government on laws or policy concerning the 780,000 divorces that happen every year. By my estimate, that 780,000 is over 15 times the number of LGBT persons who marry every year, which is about 50,000. Even so, for whatever reason, Christians feel perfectly fine inserting themselves and saying they don't think LGBT persons should be allowed to exercise their right to be married because of the Bible. But people exercise their right to divorce every single day. And we never think twice about using the Bible to police them or prevent them or control their right to do that. I 100% stand by what I said. In light of the entirety of the Bible, this interest in opposing LGBT rights seems unusually narrow. And I don't think it'll accomplish what you think it will. I mean, it reminds me of that scripture in the gospel. This is John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11, uh, where there's a woman caught in adultery. And Jesus tells the religious leaders, he who's without sin cast the first stone. And nobody threw any stones. They all left, beginning with the oldest. And we're going to come back to that point in a minute. Importantly, the fact that Jesus wouldn't permit them to pummel this woman to death with rocks didn't change the fact that what she did was out of keeping with the Torah, which was the religious text of this era. The Torah was written long before 30 AD when this episode took place, right? There's nothing that occurred on that day that would have changed what was already in the Torah. What Jesus was drawing attention to was, all of you have done things that are out of keeping with the Torah. So why isolate this woman? After Jesus's point, these men realized they couldn't condemn the woman for what she did because they had many, many things they were guilty of too. And presumably the oldest among those men left first because they probably violated the Torah the most by virtue of the fact that they lived the longest. 
they were the oldest. So if you're older, you probably just have more sin, right? The response of American Christians concerning the, liter the liberties of law-abiding, tax-paying citizens should be very similar. The problem is, it's the opposite. It's almost like American Christians think, you know, we don't need laws about sexting or tattoos or getting drunk or divorce. But we need to make sure LGBT people can't be married because that's a really big sin. Or making same-sex marriage illegal won't inconvenience my life. So let's double down on it because of our wholesome Christian values. Or it's perfectly normal to sit in front of a computer and watch two or three people have sex with each other. Maybe masturbate while you do it. But homosexuality is completely unnatural. We need to protect America from that uh, by making same-sex marriage illegal. If we really stopped to think about this, I think we'd see all the ways in which this logic doesn't particularly make sense. The reason why we take this narrow focus, I think, is because both of our major political parties, both the Democrats and the Republicans, have used this as a topic to advance their political agenda. So the Democrats say, vote for me, I'll give rights to LGBT people. And the Republicans say, vote for me. I stand for wholesome Christian values and I'll protect America from the LGBT agenda. But that singular focus perpetuates this notion of a hierarchy of sin. Because both of these groups take a very, very narrow approach concerning how they use religion to integrate topics into their platform and appeal to various faith groups or even irreligious groups in America. It's a really slippery slope to say we need a law about this one topic in the Bible, but we don't need laws for the other 99 topics. In general, if it doesn't directly hurt you or anyone else or undermine American liberties, then don't worry about it. And I mean, I think that needs context, so I'll give you some examples. The Bible says... People shouldn't get drunk, right? It says that in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, and a number of other texts as well. Um, but if people do it at home, they're exercising their rights and they're not really hurting anyone else. And they're getting drunk at home isn't infringing on your liberties. It's not infringing on anyone else's liberties. So mind your business and don't worry about it. Now, as a contrasting example... If a guy rapes a woman, that's nothing like the previous example because he's doing something and it clearly hurts another person. It clearly undermines their liberties. Two people of the same sex getting married doesn't take anything away from you, i.e. your religious freedom. It doesn't hurt anyone physically, nor does it undermine anyone's American liberties. If you disagree with something, that doesn't mean people don't have a right to do it, to do it. Things happen almost every day that I disagree with. And I don't have laws for almost any of them. 
People send me spammy messages on Facebook, right? People spend hundreds of dollars on Christmas gifts and end up several months in debt year after year. People go to school out of state or have a, or at a private university when it would be much cheaper and sometimes more responsible to go to school in state. People do one night stands with people they barely even know. I mean, I receive junk mail that I never expressed interest in. People share a Facebook account with their significant other. I'm just, I mean, I'm not really into that. People fly on Spirit Airlines and Frontier. Again, that's just, I'm not with that. People join pyramid schemes. Pyramid schemes. Like, are you serious? How is that not illegal? People take job offers and then renege on them. People cheat on their spouses. People make it rain in the club. I mean, we could have used that money to end world hunger. People literally just throw money in the club. I mean, I'll stand by what I said. People do things I don't like. It's a terrible idea. If it doesn't directly affect you, now, let's talk about this other point in arbitrary focus. Now, this one's interesting. As far as I can tell, the Bible literally does not mention same-sex marriage. Not once. Not a single time. It's not in there. And if you find it, please let me know. But as far as I can tell, I can't think of any text or passage where same-sex marriage is mentioned. Let me know if you find something otherwise. Now, it does talk about sexuality. It talks about it quite a bit, actually. We see that in Leviticus chapter 18, verse 22. Uh, we see it in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 13. We also see it in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 through 11. We also see it in Romans chapter 1, verses 26 through 27. So sexuality is talked about quite a bit. It does not talk about same-sex marriage at all. Again, let me know if you find a reference. Um, so if you think it's wrong to live a homosexual lifestyle, then why singularly focus on same-sex marriage? If that's really how you feel about homosexuality, then you should make homosexuality illegal. If your issue is with homosexuality, focusing on same-sex marriage is a very roundabout way to reflect that. I mean, after all, if you believe in using your religious views to control what other people are allowed to do, then you might as well just make homosexuality illegal instead of just focusing on the marriage part, which again is a very roundabout way of reflecting your religious views. Now, you see why this is a really slippery slope? This line that you've drawn in the sand, this hill that so many Christians are willing to die on, it's arbitrary. If you think it's wrong, it's not wrong because LGBT people are getting married. It's wrong because you believe in LGBT lifestyles out of keeping with your Christian views. Whether those persons get married, cohabitate, maintain a dating relationship with someone they love, or live single and just date casually. If you think it's wrong, it's going to be wrong either way. 
And marriage is an arbitrary line in the sand. In essence, you're saying, even though I don't agree with it, I respect your right to pursue relationships with people of the same sex. But marriage is going too far. Now you're really getting carried away. And we need to send a loud and clear message that you're not allowed to do that. Are you kidding me? This is absurd. And I stand by what I said. This line that you've drawn in the sand is completely arbitrary. Now, you may be reading my comments or listening to the audio and you may be thinking, you can't criminalize being gay. But that's actually false. You absolutely shouldn't criminalize being gay, but you definitely can. In fact, I'll show you. There are approximately 190 countries in the world, and it's illegal to be gay in 70 of them. And this is as of May 2020, so very recently. You read that correctly. You listened to that correctly. 70 countries. That's over a third. But there's more. In 12 of those countries, homosexuality is punishable by death. I mean, in case you're wondering, most of those 70 countries where it's illegal are in Africa and in the Middle East. These are parts of the world that, by most accounts, are quite religious. And people take matters of faith very seriously. So I don't know how you feel about the death penalty. Again, that's a very different topic, so I'm not going to touch on that. But at least as far as faith and politics goes, it looks like these countries share your views on being in opposition to LGBT rights. And it's ironic because I think most Americans will hear this and say, oh my gosh, those countries are so cruel. They're so oppressive. I can't believe they would be so intolerant. Sad face. <laughs> but we literally have American Christians that are basically doing the same thing. The only difference is they've drawn an arbitrary line in the sand at marriage. Does that really make you feel that much better about yourself, knowing that you're still undermining civil rights and liberties? In essence, these American Christians are saying, I don't think you should be allowed to be married but I don't want to take away your right to live a homosexual lifestyle because that would be too authoritarian and oppressive. That would be too extreme. This is America. And I don't want to infringe on your freedom. Um, okay, you know. But I'll be honest with you. That doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense because if you believe it's wrong because of the Bible, then that means it's wrong either way. And marriage is an arbitrary line in the sand. I mean, again, part of why we're here discussing this, part of why we're here is because, I mean, both the Democrats and Republicans have used this as a topic, um, as a means of advancing their political agenda. But it's a bit paradoxical for an American Christian politician, whoever, to say it's too authoritarian of the government to take away people's liberty to pursue romantic relationships with people of the same sex. But it's not too authoritarian of the government to prevent people of the same sex from getting married. 
In your mind, is one of those really that much better than the other? Policing people on their sexuality and policing people on who they marry both come from the same school of thought, or at least a very similar school of thought. I mean, that's why interracial marriage was illegal for most of American history. There were romantic relationships that American society frowned upon. They thought it was morally corrupt. They thought it was perverted. They thought it was wrong. They thought it was unnatural. And the government and religion were both used as a vehicle to advance that viewpoint. You know, in hindsight, it sounds ridiculous to use government or religion to advance an agenda of opposition to interracial marriage. But it didn't seem so ridiculous throughout the 1900s when people were bickering and fighting about it. Hindsight is always 2020. But in the moment, no, it did not seem ridiculous to use government or to use religion as a means of undermining people's right to be in interracial relationships. Now, the, the result of this arbitrary line in the sand is further perpetuating this notion of a hierarchy of sin. You know, some sins in the Bible are way worse than others. And there isn't really a strong biblical basis for that, particularly with New Testament Christianity. I mean, if you believe the Bible is true, lots of people don't. But if you do, that means you believe a liar will keep people, excuse me, being a liar will keep people out of heaven, just like being a pedophile or a sex trafficker. I mean, sure, society would view those two people differently, but God would be displeased with both of them. The reason why we have many of these laws isn't because of religious views. We have these laws to protect the liberties of Americans and ensure their well-being. That's why we have laws about pedophilia and sex trafficking. But we don't have laws about lying. I mean, unless you're lying in court or on legal documents or something of that type. Even if you dislike it or disagree with it, it's difficult to make a case for two people getting married directly hurting you or taking something away from you. So unless you plan on policing all of America based on how they transgress against God, I'll stand by Proposition 3. For Americans who identify as Christian, your opposition to LGBT rights is both arbitrary and unusually narrow. And I don't think this does what you think it does. To bring it in for a landing, we've talked um, about a lot over this three-part series. And honestly, a lot of the application of what we've discussed extends, excuse me, extends far beyond LGBT rights. I think a lot of this would apply more broadly to thinking about the intersection of faith and politics. I think over the last 20 years or so, Christianity has become viewed more and more negatively in American society. And while part of that is unavoidable, because, I mean, Jesus was a perfect man and many of his contemporaries hated him, while, many, while part of that is unavoidable, again, because Jesus wasn't liked, I personally think a lot of this is our fault. Over the course of American history, Christians have taken on all these random political views like religious observance in K-12 education and opposition of LGBT rights and just other random things that don't have anything to do with living out the gospel. And now, 
so much of America dislikes us. And it isn't because we're religious per se. I don't think it's because we love Jesus or because we love God. I think America dislikes us because we don't know how to coexist peacefully with other Americans. It's like living with someone who's a really bad roommate. And they think you don't like them because they're perfect. When in actuality, you don't like them because they're not a very good person to share a home with. If people like Christians, excuse me, if people dislike Christians because they're actually like Jesus, that's perfectly fine. In fact, that's perfectly normal, even desirable, right? But if people dislike us because we're jerks, excuse me, but people dislike us because we're jerks. People dislike us because we're judgmental. It's because we're inconsiderate. It's because we're entitled. It's because we do not excel at perspective taking. I mean, while these are sweeping generalizations, and I'll acknowledge that for sure, my hope would be that in this series, I've made a modest case for those points. We can be jerks and we can be judgmental and we can be inconsiderate and we can be entitled and we we don't seem to excel at perspective taking, particularly when it comes to matters of politics. A lot of us can't even see some of our Christian privilege that we have. We're actually making this way more difficult on ourselves than it needs to be or it's supposed to be. And I'm hoping we can be more open-minded in how we approach these things moving forward. Politics usually isn't a zero-sum game. I mean, just because someone has a different religious or political viewpoint doesn't necessarily mean they're trying to take something from Christians or attack Christian liberties. This country belongs to all of us. And it doesn't belong to, it doesn't belong more to me because I'm a Christian or less to someone else because they're gay. That's absurd. Irrespective of whatever faith tradition uh, we've subscribed to or chosen not to subscribe to, we all have to coexist. Just some more random thoughts.